Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Coverage, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the regular season has concluded. We're on to championship week. we got some other business to attend to. Uh, you ready? How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. I, uh, As you know, planes, trains, and automobiles is basically <laughs> my life. Um, I'm somehow fighting a cold again, Joey, so hang with me, everybody. Uh, we'll get through this together. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Mike. Flu season. Yeah, I, it's it's a new flu for me every week. <laughs> you can only be so lucky. Well, you know, some of us sometimes suffer from the twenty uh, four hour flu, as they call it, when yeah. uh, you had it's a late night. Boston College football. <laughs> That's right, um, Mike. We've got the ACC championship game. We got a preview here, but before we do that, we've got a few news and notes that we got to get through here. Um, as we mentioned at the very end of our podcast uh, this past Sunday, where we were recapping Week 14, um, we had our our own little uh, Black Sunday occurrence, um, and so that and some of the fallout. Let's let's get into that here a little bit. So, uh, if you didn't listen to the last like 15 minutes of our podcast on Sunday, and you've been living under a rock otherwise, um, this is where you get informed that Boston College has fired Steve Adazio, um, coming off of their win against Pittsburgh on Saturday. Um, they made bowl eligibility. They finished six and six, but uh, it still just was not good enough. Um, Adazio finishes his tenure forty-four and forty-four um, in what like eight years as head coach at Boston College. Um, so, it, you know, it, it was one of those things where he was exactly seven wins almost every year he was there, with the exception of a three and nine year and now a six and six year. Um, it was it was not. Not the best, and it, really what we agreed, Mike, was that it wasn't really strange that they got rid of him. The timing, I think, was the most interesting thing. You know, coming off the win, A, but B, waiting this late, knowing that you had the early signing period coming up, knowing that Florida State had already gotten a, a head head start on their coaching search, um, not to mention a couple of others nationally. So kind of, an, kind of an interesting move, but I don't know that either of us blame Boston College for moving on there. So with that being said, um, Rich Cannell is going to be the interim head coach for the bowl game here. He's a former Boston College player. He was their wide receivers coach this year. Um, I, I don't expect that he is anything in the way of um, a major candidate to take the job on permanently. I think this is just a get the team through the bowl season kind of move, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. Uh, making the hire is Martin Jarmond. He is the uh, athletic director at Boston College, former uh, longtime member both at Michigan State and Ohio State, so a lot of Ohio State ties. Uh, and, Mike, the, the primary candidate I keep seeing whose name is attached to this job is Luke Fickle. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, you know, 
if for I'm, Luke, not not for Luke, not for BC. For BC, it would be a great hire. For exactly. Luke Fickle, why BC? Right. Yeah. If if I'm if I'm Luke Fickle, I I don't think that's a move that I'm making. If I'm Martin Jarman and Luke Fickle's interested, you can't get him in the door fast enough. Um, that would be a, a home run hire for Boston College. Um, other candidates I, I've seen mentioned, Jeff Munkin, Jace, Jason Candle at Toledo, uh, Lance Leipold at Buffalo. Um, but at the end of the day, Mike, I, I I keep racking my brain for like who makes sense to, to end up at Boston College, and I don't know that I have a real great feel for who that should end up being. I mean, it, it feels like this is really going to come out of left field with whoever ends up being. Uh Look, Jeff Monken, or I know you have a name in mind, and Ken Niamatuolo, which would be another really, really nice hire for the option, right? Like, I feel like Monken or Niamatuolo would be one and the same. I mean, it would basically be Boston College going into an option system, basically. Right, right. So at the end of the day, you're accomplishing the same goal with two very good head coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interchangeable hire. Uh, it's one of those things, Joey, where I – they need to start recruiting not only that region. Um, I think step one at BC is to recruit that region, recruit it well, and get Boston College back to winning more than six, seven, eight games a year. Um, I think eight games a year would be obviously a step in the right direction since they could never eclipse more than seven under Steve Adazio. Um, I, I think they really need to start recruiting that region well and getting the program back on the map from a winning standpoint which is very difficult to do at boston college given the state of their program and where they're at now i know they have a new athletics facility so that's good that's important that's going to be attractive to whoever that new guy is but most importantly joey they need to find a way to make boston college a draw right like make it an easier said than done of course but make it a school that you can recruit to outside of the state of Massachusetts or New Hampshire or Connecticut, because there's not a lot of great football talent that far North, right? That far in the Northeast of the United States, there's good football talent in Jersey. There's some football talent in New York, but once you get North of New York, you're talking about Connecticut, you're talking about Massachusetts, you're talking about Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, like, you're not dealing with the cream of the crop from a high school football standpoint. So it makes recruiting a little bit more difficult. And Boston College is in a really, really tough region by no fault of their own. But I do think it's a school that you can recruit to. They have had success in the past. You just need to find a way to instill a system that makes sense, that gets people on board, um, that you can recruit to easily, that you don't necessarily need to recruit four and five-star talent to, but you can get really solid three-star players that – can thrive in the system that you're implementing there. And that's why I think running the option is a choice that they could make. And I don't <laughs> hate it. I, I don't hate it. Um, but I think they can win a traditional way too. Now, who are they going to get to run that traditional style? I'd, I'd be shocked if they landed Luke Fickle. I, Luke Fickle, in my opinion, is in line for another big time job. Maybe not this year, but maybe in the future in the big 10, like, uh, look, Notre Dame, who knows what happens with Brian Kelly in the next few years. Luke Fickle could end up there in South Bend. He could end up in Michigan State. Like, he is a Midwest Big Ten type guy. I just don't see him going to BC. And I don't really see how that's an upgrade from where he's at right now at Cincinnati, Joey. Yeah, in so many ways, I, I tend to agree. Um, the other interesting thing that I keep seeing is I keep seeing a lot of like 
defensive coordinator names from a lot of places. You know, I saw Tony Elliott's name from Clemson, the offensive coordinator. Like a lot of coordinators who have never been head coaches, and in so many ways, like I don't know that I like that idea for Boston College. Like I don't know that that's a route that they want to go. I think if if I'm them, I'm I'm looking at you know who's been successful in the MAC. You know who's been successful, kind of in the region as a head coach, and that's, I think that's so many ways what I'm shooting for. Um, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's some of the things that you said about you know you you want to be able to recruit the region but not need the top level talent to succeed. I'm just like, I you know you're screaming option at me, so th- there's that. But as you mentioned as well, you you don't have to do that to succeed at Boston College, and we know that because. They haven't run the option there for the past I don't know how long, and they've been making bowl games consistently. So really, this hire is not about like can we can we have a, a acceptable floor. It's more that can we raise the floor? Can we get a couple of peaks in there that are higher than seven wins a year? Um, and and so that's the thing I think that's got to be considered it, it, is is that you know is the option going to do that for you or is it something else and it's most likely going to be something else i, I we we're kind of harping on this as it's an interesting concept to, to think about but it is you know i i, I also know that i i feel like boston college is going to you know always going to have some limits on its recruiting ability at this point and in, in in the year of our lord 2019 there is so much football talent that has migrated from the northeast to the south that Boston College is not the attractive spot that it once was, um, you know. So you, you got to figure out a way to recruit into Pennsylvania and Ohio, maybe um, to some degree in New York and New Jersey. Like it's it's not just right there for you in Massachusetts in so many ways from a talent perspective. So you got to find somebody that knows that region and can can work that that whole area of the country. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I I fully expect that we're going to be completely caught off guard by whatever they end up doing. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on that over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it'll be interesting to monitor for sure. Mike, there's one other thing here that I, I think is worth mentioning, um, not really part of the coaching search, but that kind of came out in the wake of uh, Steve Adazio being fired, was we had multiple former Boston College players coming out and doing basically like their version of a tell-all on Twitter about – so strange. It was real weird, Mike. So, I mean, you had Andre Williams, the big-time dominant running back that they had for several years, and Josh Keyes, uh, another former player for, for the Eagles. I mean, so Andre Williams comes out and says that he's there a couple weeks ago with the team watching a game or something, goes to say hi to uh, Steve Adazio after the game, and he just, like, basically, like, makes eye contact with him and then just bolts, like... You know, he had reached his hand out and everything to say hi, and Adazio just bails. And then Keyes told us whole story about being banned from the stadium through like multiple channels. He's being denied entry into the stadium, and it's it's really bizarre in so many ways. I I, I don't understand what this whole issue was with Adazio trying to deal with former players. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a common thing. I, I have a similar story. I know it's. It's been all over social media. It's died out a little bit since Virginia Tech had success in the second half of their season. But there was a similar issue at Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech with Justin Fuente in the 1999 team that went to a national championship. They were mm-hmm. being honored at Lane Stadium in the Duke game for homecoming um, back at the end of September. And, you know, Virginia Tech got blown out of that game. But one of the stories that came out of that afterwards was the fact that Justin Fuente hasn't really engaged the media. He hasn't really engaged the fan base effectively. And 
everybody's complaining about all these faults that Justin Fuente had outside of coaching football and, and recruiting and all of this other stuff that he's done pretty well. Um, there was a lot that came out of that Duke loss. One of the things that came out was, again, the propensity for him to not necessarily be the friendliest to uh, old players, right? So you had the 1999 team, and Justin Fuente was asked by the media after the game like if he had a chance to catch up with them, and he said he did not, which wouldn't you make it a point to to reach out to those guys on that, on that 99 team that – was the was the team that really put the Virginia Tech football program on the map? Um, Virginia Tech has never really been a national power, right? I mean, they've been a, and I know Virginia Tech fans are gonna be very angry when I say that, but realistically, like outside of like a handful of Orange Bowl appearances, like Virginia Tech's glory came from the Michael Vick era, right? Mm-hmm. That 1999 season when he was able to lead Virginia Tech to a national championship game appearance against Florida State, that's what put the Hokies on the map. And they had a lot of success under Frank Beamer, a lot of 10-win seasons, but Virginia Tech was never truly seen as a perennial national title contender. They were always seen as a very good program, but you would think that a guy like Justin Fuente, who's trying to you know, paint his own path in Blacksburg and, and pave his own road, would be would be more receptive to talking to former players. So when I hear the Steve Adazio story, it doesn't shock me. And, and from the standpoint of these coaches are different, they're yeah. weird people. Mm-hmm. Like they're very strange. They're not cut from the same cloth as you and I in all cases, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're set in their ways. They're so focused on the process that they won't go out of their way to do anything different from the norm on game day or from the routine and practice on a day-to-day basis. It's always the same. They're so programmed to do the same thing every day. So when I hear the story about Steve Adazio, do I think it's shitty? Yeah, I do. Because I, I look at Justin Fuente and I think the same thing about Virginia Tech, but was I surprised by it? No, Joey, I honestly wasn't all that surprised, even with a guy as accomplished as Andre Williams. Yeah. I've seen a little bit of the same thing at Georgia Tech. Um, I think Paul Johnson had something kind of like this that he, he at least didn't provide the access to the program that some former players wanted. You know, they weren't really always welcome around practice. They weren't as, you know, openly invited to the sidelines during games, you know, that kind of thing. Jeff Collins has really kind of more emphasized that and tried to bring more guys back. And, and, but it's, yeah, I mean, it seems like this, like there's this weird coaching thing at times where you just have your guys and everyone else's exterior to your program and, they're some sort of threat either to your messaging or to your morale or something. I I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. It is super bizarre. Um, but yeah, there was just a, there was a lot of just strangeness. Uh, by the way, I remember the the Josh Keys story that he told on Twitter through an iPhone's uh, iPhone Notes app screenshot series, which doing it right. By the way, um, it's a very millennial thing to do. <laughs> he, he got it right. Um, he said that the whole thing was sparked by him liking and maybe commenting on somebody's Facebook post that was criticizing Adazio. Like, and that was enough that all of a sudden Boston College is like banning him from the stadium. Like, won't they even say, let nope, him. We're good. We're good. Won't even let him purchase tickets at will call, kind of thing. Like, wh- <laughs> so whatever. Um, <laughs> more to come from that. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure there's more to come there. Um, so we will uh, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on the Boston College coaching search. We'll have to see what happens. 
Um, anybody's guess what happens there, seriously. I mean, we threw out some names, but it really is anybody's guess. No kidding. Uh, another place that there's a coaching search going on that we don't really know a whole lot so far is Florida State. Mike, all I know, and, and I say I know, the only thing that I'm speculating that I've seen, the only update that I have at all, there seems to be some smoke pointing towards Mike Norvell at Memphis. Yep. There's a couple of people making comments about, well, maybe Florida State's trying not to announce anything in case the coach is playing in a conference championship game. Yep. Which Memphis is this week, and... So I there there's that that among a couple other things there just seems to be some smoke pointing that direction. Um, I think that's a decent hire for for Florida State. I mean, depending on what you think of the Florida State job, hiring out of an AAC program is maybe a little bit beneath them. But at the end, I mean, Norvell's done really well and and really built that program up over the last few years since Fuente left. Um, I. I think I like that hire for Florida State. I think I do too. And they swung and missed on Bob Stoops. That was well documented. That mm-hmm. was real. That was a thing. Um, everybody was chatting about it, and it was legitimate chatter. They swing and miss on Bob Stoops. There was talk about maybe Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, which would have been interesting. Luke Fickle, I don't think, has any real interest in going to Tallahassee because, like we said with the Boston College job, he is a Big Ten guy. And while Florida State's a big job, does he really want to go inherit that mess when he can go somewhere in the Midwest that's a little bit more stable? Um, and, and like I mentioned, if Brian Kelly were, were to leave for Florida State, then maybe Luke Fickle's a natural fit at somewhere like Notre Dame. Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if it is Mike Norvell, I don't hate the hire. Look, um, you look at the Virginia Tech job, right? And Justin Fuente left Memphis, went to Virginia Tech. He's won 10 games his first year, nine years his second year, had a down third year. But if he wins the bowl game, it's nine wins in year three at Virginia Tech. Well, Virginia Tech, under the last four years of Beamer, seven wins, seven wins, eight wins. Uh, there was a six win in there. So, like, how you know, how much more successful are you going to be at Virginia Tech? That kind of remains to be seen. But I think overall, even though it was a little bit rocky there for a span of about 10 to 12 games, it's been successful at Virginia Tech when they moved from a coach from Memphis to to Blacksburg. And, you know, now is Florida State a better program than Virginia Tech? I mean, yeah, geographically it's better. You have more access to facilities and recruiting and the booster money is, is more real at Florida State than it is at Virginia Tech. And it's a better job. Um, it's not going to be easy, but I think a guy like Mike Norbell, who's had success at a school like Memphis, where it is hard to win, if you're able to go and recruit there to a, to a relatively high level, again, relative to where you're at, I think that travels. I, I think, you know, the biggest question about Norbell will be recruiting and will he be able to do that and what kind of staff will he bring in? But if you hire a couple guys to your staff that you're not bringing from Memphis, that you're going to bring from other programs that have a track record of recruiting success, what exactly are you worried about at that point, right? Like, if he's going to recruit well, he can already, he's already shown that he can coach. Florida State's going to have to be patient and give him time. But outside of that, what are we really worried about here? No, no lie, Mike. I just uh, started to Google Mike Norvell. I was going to look up his, his previous record as we sit here and talk. It autocorrected to Mike Norvell FSU. So if you want to know what Mike Google thinks, if you want to know what Google thinks here, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of positives here. I think that the big thing here is that with Florida State, again, with geography and that program's history and standing and all that, um, there is a, a pretty significant recruiting expectation there. So you're looking for a guy to recruit well. I, I wouldn't call Memphis just like this impossible place to win. I think relative to the level he's winning at and relative to um, kind of what's around him, he's doing quite well. Um, so put it, put it that way, but it's, it's not, it's not some, you know, dumpster of a program traditionally that he's kind of revived or just sort of carry the coattails from, uh, from Justin Fuente on, you know, it's a, that's a decent football program historically, you know, so it's, but the fact that he's done well with it, not just anybody can do that, put it that way. Um, I mean, but he previously was also a very successful coordinator at Arizona state. I mean, he's got a good track record of running good offenses, um, so I, I think that that would be a good hire if that's who it ends up being. Um, I, I have this weird feeling that that is who it's going to end up being. Again, if I'm Florida State, I would prefer to go get a guy who has a bit of a winning track record at the Power 5 level somewhere. But I, I also feel like we're also getting to this age of coaches and coaching contracts that these things are getting you know just exponentially more expensive to go get a winner from somewhere buyouts are absolutely ballooning uh, in a lot of these places. I saw today that Matt Campbell signed another extension at Iowa State that's going to make him even more expensive for anybody to go get out of there. Um, Man, he would have been nice at Florida State. Oh, he sure would. Oh, he sure would. Um, even a guy like P.J. Fleck, I think he just signed another extension, Mike. You know, I mean, just like a couple weeks ago he did. Florida State's getting all these coaches paid. Well, and, and you, you, you think about it and you realize that, well, these – these schools are at least protecting themselves from their guy being hired away and them getting nothing out of it. And the coaches are protecting themselves of like, well, I just get more guaranteed money over the years. Um, so it's, it's a win-win until the coach starts failing. And then the school is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place of, well, we got to pay a whole boatload of money to get rid of him. Or we just got to sit here and stick with, you know, a losing coach. So it's, I don't know. It, it while it's, while it's going good, it's good. And it's everybody's a winner and, and all that, but once it starts to go bad, it uh, everybody kind of suffers. It seems like so. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Um, I I have a feeling we're going to be talking about new Florida State head coach Mike Norvell here in about a week, but we will uh, we'll keep tabs on that. Yeah, they could have done worse if it is Norvell, by the way. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's that's. Um, I I wouldn't call that like a, a full on home run. But I wouldn't call it a bad hire either. I mean, I think that's a that's a decent above average hire. I'd give it like that's a seven. That's a out nice 10. consolation prize to Bob Stoops. Yeah, that's like a seven out of ten. Stoops is like a nine and a half out of ten, probably. So uh yeah. only other coaching news I've got here, Mike, is that NC State fired their defensive coordinator, Dave Huxtable. Um, NC State's defense this year was horrific. Um, it didn't really help that they were pretty beat up on defense, especially in the secondary through the, the latter half of the year. Um, so that wasn't a wasn't a good thing. But they will be moving on. I guess there there had to be uh, someone to pay the price for a four and eight season here off the back of a pair of nine win seasons. Um, we're going to talk about NC State this offseason. maybe more than the people really want to hear about. But we're going to be talking. Yeah, about we are. Season. There, there's, there's some content to discuss there. We'll say that. Yep, there is. And not that there's any shortage anyway in the ACC, but there's some content in NC State to discuss, and sure we'll be is. diving right in. Yep, we sure will. 
Um, last piece of news I've got here, Mike, uh, a couple of transfer portal updates. Um, the two big names that have jumped into the transfer portal here are Matthew McKay, quarterback at the aforementioned NC State University, um, and then Cade Fortin, the, uh, I guess, redshirt freshman quarterback out of North Carolina who uh, was supplanted by Sam Howell this year. Uh, both of those guys going to be looking for new homes. I'll be real curious to see where either of them ends up. I don't know that either one is necessarily power five quarterback material at this point. Um, I guess we'll, not we'll in the wait ACC, see. Not in the ACC. Probably not. Um, out of Miami, we got wide receiver Evidence Njoku, uh, best known as the little brother of David Njoku, who's currently playing for, what, the Browns? Not the same person. Not the same, no. Um, but the same family. Uh, so, yeah, he, uh, after a couple of years in Miami, he's going to be heading out. Uh, Michael Salahuddin, I'm certain that I messed that up, uh, but Pittsburgh's running back, he was a pretty highly touted recruit. He has seen minimal to no action in Pittsburgh here the last couple of years. He's heading out. Uh, and then lastly, Mike, from your Hokies, uh, Robert Porter IV, uh, defensive lineman, he is going to be transferring. And I only mentioned him because as a uh, Georgia Tech fan, I remember the Yellow Jackets recruiting him a couple of years ago. So that that name uh, is familiar. I, I do remember him having some family ties to Michigan State, but again, he's none of these guys have really been particularly successful or impactful at their, at their positions. Um, certainly none of these three guys that were um, non-quarterbacks, and there were, there were several other names across the league, but none of which that I think the average fan would know. Yeah, I mean, it's it, for Porsche specifically, and I can talk about this as a Virginia Tech fan, just kind of knowing a bit about him. He's a good player. He's an athletic player. It was one of those situations at Tech where he just kind of fell behind on depth chart. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like you mentioned, I mean, I, I think he's a guy who can certainly play. I just think that Virginia Tech had some depth on that interior defensive line that, you know, became it became more and more evident to Porsche that he was a little bit more expendable. So that's kind of where we're at with him specifically. Yeah. Expendable, not the uh, not the best touchy-feely kind of place to be for a uh, college athlete like that. So. Um, not the best, but uh, we wish all these folks the best in their future endeavors. Oh, yeah. Go ACC. That's the best we can do at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not much, but it's the best we can do. It's like quitting your first job and trying to find a second one, except you don't get paid. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a place to be. Um, try, not to be try not to be there. <laughs> Mike, the ACC championship game. We've got this is our, our last game of the year to preview before like all the bowl games and postseason stuff. Uh, Seven thirty p.m. on ABC, the number twenty-three Virginia Cavaliers, your Cavaliers, Mike. Cover your eyes, baby. A twenty-eight and a half point underdog. Total is fifty-five. They're taking on the number three Clemson Tigers. This game coming to you live from Bank of America Stadium in beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh. We've both been to this venue. It is a it is a beautiful venue. It's a great town. Highly recommend going if you haven't made the trip. Um, certainly, if you're a Virginia uh, student, fan, whatever, make that trip. Uh, that is a, a fun town to go hang out in for a day or so. Um, highly recommended. Go to the game, all that good stuff. Mike, Virginia's four-touchdown underdog and the hook. Do you want the Cavs at that number? I don't think I do. Man, it... Like, I, I could totally see Virginia finding a way to get this game to be, like, a kind of a closer game. If, if only, like, to, they play in a way that keeps them from getting blown out. 
But what have I been saying, Mike, for like a month and a half? Don't get away in that train. Don't get in the way of the train. Yep. Clemson, have you heard some of the like press conference nonsense out of Dabo Swinney lately? I have. Did you hear Paul Feinbaum saying that, oh, Clemson will be tested today before Clemson went out and beat South Carolina by five touchdowns on the road? Sent South Carolina back to the Stone Age, yeah. Yeah. I heard that. They set themselves back to the Stone Age, and uh, Clemson wrote about it. Clemson's 9-3 and three against the spread this year, and that's if you count, A, a Wofford game where they basically had pulled everybody in the second quarter, and they were 47.5-point favorites, and they only won by, like, in the, you know, the upper 30s. And if you include a Texas A&M game where they were covering with 59 minutes, you know, 15, 59 minutes and 45 seconds into the game, uh, and then Texas A&M scores with, like, 10 seconds left to cover... Those are two of the three ways that Clemson has not covered this year, Mike. Um, they have been absolutely torching people, especially down the stretch here. This is a place where I think that Virginia's beat-up secondary, if nothing else, let's just let's just play pretend here for a second and say that Clemson is not going to get anything going in the run game with Travis Etienne and Lin J. Dixon against <laughs> okay. against a good front seven for Virginia. Let's just let's just throw that out there. Let's say that's what happens. Virginia has no answer for T. Higgins, Justin Ross, and Mari Rogers. All these, by the way, guys that we have not talked enough about this year. Right. None of them have played. I mean, Clemson, and this is the national narrative, right? Clemson has played in so few meaningful games. We haven't had a reason to deep dive. And, but remember how good T. Higgins, Justin Ross, Amari Rogers, DeAndre Overton, like all these dudes are. I don't know who from Virginia is going to cover them. No, I don't know who from Virginia is going to cover them either. Um, and, and that's before you even take a look at the other side of the field, which we'll get into in a minute, where I, I just – I don't know how Virginia is going to run the ball, and uh, we'll get into that in a moment. But, yeah, Virginia doesn't have any answers in the secondary, and that's a problem. Even if the run defense and Virginia's rushing defense has been good this year, um, and look – there's some good rushing teams they play against in the ACC, and they've been able to bottle all of them up, really. And Virginia's done a really, really nice job defensively this year, irrespective of the injuries they've had in the secondary. They have been a good defense all year long, period. Um, the issue that they have, though, like you mentioned, is that they have injuries in the secondary. Uh, their running defense, while it's been very good, they haven't faced a rushing attack anywhere near as good as Clemson's. Uh, Travis Etienne will be the best running back that they have played all year. I just don't know how Virginia slows down this Clemson offense. And, you know, this national narrative early in the year, and it wasn't, it, you know, it was a narrative because, okay, Clemson, they, they don't look that impressive on offense, and Trevor Lawrence is off to a slow start. Um, yeah, he was off to a slow start for like three games in September, and he's been on a rampage ever since throwing the mm. football. So even if Virginia does find a way to bottle up Travis Etienne, which not impossible, but it'll be difficult. Um, Trevor Lawrence is still going to throw all over this Virginia defense. In my opinion, the only way that this game gets anywhere near close to competitive is if Virginia can turn Clemson over. And we haven't seen Clemson turn the ball over in a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a while since this offense has not been clicking or, you know, Trevor Lawrence hasn't 
taken chances down the field when it's mattered. And it's been a really, really long time since this this type of game has has kind of transpired where you look at Clemson and you're wondering if their offense is going to score enough points to win. And I'm not worried about that on Saturday, Joey. Yeah. Uh, last five games for Trevor Lawrence, each individual game, over 70% completions, three touchdowns at least, no interceptions. Uh, he has been as sharp as sharp gets for uh, for the Tigers. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's super far-fetched to think that Clemson might struggle to run the ball at least a little bit in this game. Um, it, it might not just be complete open season for Travis Etienne and Lynn J. Dixon like they've been used to against a lot of defenses this year. I mean, Virginia is, is legit good at stopping the run in, yep. in so many games. So I'll give them that credit. And, you know, I think if, if Clemson comes in just planning to run the ball 50 times in this game, it might be a little slower, might be a little tougher sledding than we think it will be for them. Um, but again, at the end of the day, I I don't know what the answer is for all of Clemson's talent in the in the wide receiver core. I don't know that Virginia has the dudes to stop it at this point in the year, and that's I think that's the big that's, mismatch here. That's exactly where I'm at too. And I think if we're going to give Virginia credit in this football game in any of the matchups when they go head to head with Clemson, I think the one that we can obviously point out among anything else is Virginia's rushing defense against Clemson's rushing offense with Travis Etienne and Lynn J. Dixon. Mm -hmm. That is the only place, in my opinion, on either side of the football where I look at Virginia and say, yeah, they have a chance to win that matchup. (laughs) I don't think it's a good chance, but they have a chance there. Anywhere else, best of luck to you, and we'll we'll get to the offensive side of the football, but... I just don't see the path to this game being competitive, Joey. I don't. Unless there's turnovers, I really don't. But we'll talk about the offenses anyway. Yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah, we'll flip it around. So when when Virginia's got the ball, this is the other thing is that I feel like if there's been a way to move the ball against Clemson this year, at times it has been in the run game. We have seen teams run the ball successfully against them when they are committed to it and when they really um, th- that's something that they excel at normally. Um, here, here's the the problem on that is that Clemson's defense, the most rushing yards they've given up in a game week one, my Georgia tech yellow jackets went for 157 on the ground against them uh, running a new offense. Clemson had a lot of their dudes out by the middle of third quarter. I mean, that was some garbage time stuff, all this stuff, you know, there's been, a, there's been a few teams that have gone over 100 yards on them. That's happened, you know, about half their games this year. Um, but those teams are mostly better at running the ball than Virginia is. Virginia, other than Bryce Perkins, is horribly inefficient at running the ball. And Clemson is just way too fast and talented on defense to let Bryce Perkins, I think, um, do a ton of damage in the run game, we'll say. I, he might break one or two at times. But it, 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 that, this is where having a one-dimensional rushing attack uh, is going to really come back to bite Virginia in so many ways. Yeah, and the one game you can point to easily where Virginia has faced a defense with as many athletes, and it's not even as many athletes, but a defense as fast and as athletic as the one they're going to face against Clemson is back in the Miami game in October. 
Uh, Miami's defense has been legitimately good at stopping the run all year, even though they've had their trials and tribulations in the passing game at times defensively. They've been legitimately good at stopping the run. Overall, Miami's got a very fast athletic defense, which you can liken to Clemson's. It's like Clemson light, so to speak, uh, defensively for the Hurricanes. But they were able to successfully bottle up Bryce Perkins as successfully as you can for a guy as dynamic as he is. And Virginia hasn't run the ball well with their running backs. I mean, we talked about it. They really, really struggle running the ball with people not named Bryce Perkins. And it's been an issue all year long. And when you play a very fast athletic defense like they're going to face on Saturday in the ACC championship, you got to find other ways to run the football other than your one guy. You have to get the job done in the running game and the passing game other than your one guy, right? And that's no disrespect to Virginia's receivers. I think Virginia's got an excellent receiving core, one of the best in the conference. But this is one of those things where you look at Bryce Perkins and the difference that he makes. And do I think Bryce Perkins will put up numbers against Clemson? Yeah, I do because he's good and he's – elusive and he's he's a playmaker and he takes care of the football but do I think that Virginia is going to all of a sudden run the football really well against Clemson when they haven't done it all year outside of Bryce Perkins no I, I don't and I think Bryce Perkins can have a moderate level of success running the football but he can't be the only guy to run the ball and run it well and the issue that I see with Virginia in this matchup is that Bryce Perkins is the only guy on the offense at this point that you can trust running the football and, you know, the difference between that Miami game that ended in a 13-9 final score and, you know, this team they're playing against in Clemson is that Clemson's got a much, much better offense than Miami, and they also have a better defense. And that defense held Virginia to nine points, and they bottled up the running game and made life difficult on Bryce Perkins passing the football. And I see a similar issue for Virginia in this game against Clemson, Joe. Keep in mind that that Miami game – was about a you know almost two weeks after uh, you know so two weeks meaning they had a bye week in between after a game they played against Notre Dame where the rushing offense was even worse, right? Um, Another and, fast athletic defense that I didn't even mention. That's probably not even still not as good as Clemson's, um, right? No, definitely not. And, and here's the other thing you got to consider is that you know I, I'm guessing that a lot of the um, Rushing numbers there do include some sack numbers, and this is without this is off the off the cuff without really like diving deep into it. So let's say that includes some sack numbers. Okay, well let's let's think about how Virginia does at protecting Bryce Perkins. So I, I've got good news and I've got bad news, Mike. Um, the good news is that Virginia, if you look at the the offensive line sack rate for Virginia this year, they're they're about seventh in the ACC. So they're they're about average in terms of ACC programs and how they uh, protect Bryce Perkins. Now for the bad news? The bad news is that they're 103rd nationally. Uh-oh. And if you wonder how that's possible, it's because teams that are worse than Virginia protecting the passer. Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Florida State, uh, Miami, Syracuse, Louisville. All of those, including Virginia, are in the hundreds nationally in terms of sack rate allowed. So it's there's a lot of bad offensive line play in the ACC this year is what I've been saying, really. But, um, I mean... Okay, so if 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 they're gonna drop back and try to pass, Bryce Perkins is amazing, but Clemson can get after the passer. I, the long and short here is I don't know how Clem, or how Virginia consistently moves the ball in this game. I don't know how they do it. I mean, can they break a big play here or there with Joe Reed or Hashish Dubois? Perhaps. Um, 
But I think that's what you're really hanging on if you're trying to say Virginia's going to cover, is Clemson scores 35 points and shuts it down, and Virginia breaks a couple big plays, and it's like 35-14, and that's not even really that close, but that's what the scoreboard says. Like, I think that's your best shot. Right. But at the end of the day, Mike, I I think that Clemson is going to come out continuing to play absolutely pissed off. I think that they are going to try to grind Virginia into dust here as a final statement trying to, you know, for seeding in the college football playoff and, you know, this, that, and the other. It's not anything really personal. It's more of just trying to make a statement, you know, as they try to work towards their ultimate goal. I don't think Virginia has a a good enough answer here for Clemson. As much as they've been the best team in the Coastal this year, um, you know, in general, I I just don't think that there's a way – 28 and a hook kind of scares me a little bit, but I think um, the number I really like is the under, 55. Um, I, I think Clemson's probably going to get into the upper 30s or into the 40s in points, but I don't know that Virginia's going to score much here. So give me Clemson. I think final score, I'm thinking something like, I don't know, 38 to 6 or something like that. I, I think it's going to be kind of ugly. I... <sighs> The one last thing I'll add regarding the Virginia rushing attack and their ability to move the football. The one thing that Clemson has, the one thing that Miami has that Virginia Tech didn't have that uh, some of these other teams on the schedule for Virginia did not have, they have a linebacker who's athletic enough to spy the passer, spy the quarterback in the passing game and the running game on those RPOs that UVA loves to run. And not only does Clemson have a guy, they have like multiple guys in depth. And if one guy isn't getting the job done spying Bryce Perkins, they can throw like two or three more. That's a luxury that not a lot of teams have. And I'm not talking about the ACC. I'm talking in general nationally. Mm -hmm. And it's what makes Clemson such a great defense. That's why I don't see the path to Virginia winning this football game at all. I don't give them a prayer to win the game. Do I think they can cover? Sure. I think they're going to need turnovers to keep it competitive. I don't see Clemson turning the ball over all that much, but I think if Clemson does turn the ball over, if Virginia does have a Herculean effort defensively, I think they can hang around, but I really really don't see it with the way Clemson's offense is playing and the way UVA's defense, even though it's been really good. The secondary really, really concerns me in this game against a guy as talented as Trevor Lawrence, who some Virginia fans tabbed as not quite as good as Bryce Perkins. Well, we get the matchup to see it all on national TV in front of God and everyone. So Mm -hmm. um, I like Bryce Perkins a lot. I think he's the only shot UVA has to win the majority of the games on their schedule, but the majority of the teams they play on their schedule don't include Clemson. Um, Clemson wins this game huge. They win it going away. I think they win this game by five touchdowns, Joey. I'm with you. I think you said 38 to six. That's almost five touchdowns. I could easily, easily see that happening. Um, yeah, I like I like Clemson big. I don't mind the under either. I don't think Virginia scores much at all. And I think they give up a lot of points because I think they're really beaten up in secondary. So give yeah. Clemson big here. This is this is like, and if if you're a Virginia fan thinking, man, this is insulting. How could they possibly uh, say that this is going to be just an absolute blowout of a conference championship game? 
Let me refer you to a recent history of conference championship games. Uh, Last year, Clemson 42, Pittsburgh 10. Previous year, Clemson 38, Miami 3. Yep. This is what they do. This is how good they are. This is how far they have separated themselves from the pack. Um, It is not an indictment of UVA. This would have happened to anybody who won the Coastal this year. Yeah. Anyone. Congratulations for beating Virginia Tech. This is the reason we're talking about Virginia this way and not Virginia Tech this way, because we would be talking about them the same way. (laughs) Correct. I am a Virginia Tech alum. I despise UVA. Objectively, I think UVA was a better football program this year than Virginia Tech. I've said that multiple times on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Regardless of who won that game in Charlottesville, this is not me being a Virginia Tech alum, a UVA hater. Objectively speaking, whoever won that game in Charlottesville – was going to get wrought in this championship game. That's just the way it works in the ACC this year. There is nobody in the Coastal anywhere close to matching what Clemson has going right now. It was an invitation to get blown out of the stadium in Charlotte, and that's exactly what's going to happen to UVA. But it's not an indictment of the Cavaliers. It would have happened to anybody. Yep. Just want to make that clear. For everybody to hear, Brian Smith. (laughs) Shout out, Brian Smith. Um yeah, so that's all. That's all I've got on this game. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to watch. I'm curious to see if Virginia can hang around for a half or so, but I, it just feels like it's inevitable how this is going to end up. So, um, I don't know. We were wrong before. We could be wrong again. We'll see. But I, I, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked. So, Mike, that's all I've got on uh, the ACC championship game. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh nothing. I got nothing. Um, should be a semi-entertaining game for a minute. I I really would like UVA to make this competitive for what it's worth. Um, please hold my interest for more than like 20 minutes. That'd be great. That would be great. Yeah. Good for everybody. Um, you want to give quick thoughts on the other Power 5 championship games? Why not? And let's do the Group of 5 championship game too because it's literally a rematch of last week's game. So Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Um all right, we'll work through it real quick. Uh, 8 o'clock on Friday on ABC, number 5, Utah, taking on the number three, 13, Oregon Ducks uh, in Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. I I feel like Oregon's offense has kind of petered out here over the last month or so. Um, Utah is in wrecking machine mode for them. I, I would really like to see Utah in the playoff. I'd be really curious to see what they could do. If only because I wrote about it in the preseason as my sleeper pick to go to the playoff, I need Utah to at least put themselves in position to fulfill that. I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting discussion if they win and Oklahoma wins and who gets in and they're both one loss conference champions and all that stuff. But I wrote an article in the preseason about how Utah was a playoff sleeper and this would fulfill that, Joey. Kiss of death, baby. Give me you. You dog. I forgot about that, but you did. I was yep. thinking about that the other day. I was like, I feel like I remember reading someone talking about them as a potential playoff team. That's your boy, your, Mike McDaniel. Your favorite podcast host, buddy. There you go. All right. Uh, yeah, I like Utah there against against Oregon. They've just been playing better, really, on both sides of the ball. Uh, noon on ABC on Saturday, number seven, Baylor, taking on number six, Oklahoma. This is at Jerry World in Dallas. Um, I, I feel like it was a little bit of uh, smoke and mirrors, a little bit of – you know, falsehood that Baylor kept the first game as close as they did and they got out to as big a lead as they did. I don't know that Oklahoma is necessarily complete enough to really compete in the playoff, but I think they probably win this game. 
I feel the same way. I think it was a little fluky that Baylor jumped out the way that they did. Um, there was some bad Charlie turnover luck for player. Oklahoma in that game. I mean, there was just there's a lot going on. Yeah, Charlie Brewer is a good player, brother of former Virginia Tech quarterback Michael Brewer. Uh, Charlie is much better. Um, mm-hmm. Michael Brewer is slandered against in Blacksburg. I don't get that. He was good. <laughs> he was a good player. I don't get. Um, yeah, but Charlie Charlie Brewer is a good quarterback. I think Baylor has the playmakers to obviously hang with Oklahoma, and Oklahoma really has not looked all that impressive in the second half of the year. They're struggling passing the football a little bit. I think a lot of teams are really honing in on the Oklahoma rushing attack, which includes Jalen Hurts as a quarterback who's outstanding running the football. Um, I think teams are honing in on that a bit. I think Oklahoma is struggling, obviously, offensively a little bit right now, even though they probably put together one of their most complete performances in about a month when they beat Oklahoma State last Saturday uh, in the season finale. But uh, I I like Oklahoma here as well. I don't think they win by a ton, but I do think they have enough to get by Baylor. And like like we both mentioned, and, and you made a great point on this initially, it was a little bit fluky that Baylor, it, at least it felt fluky that Baylor got out to the lead. They did. No point had to scratch and claw back and a couple crazy turnovers in that game. I think Jalen Hurts takes care of the ball. I think they win. Uh, will it be enough to get them in the playoff? We'll see. I, yeah, we'll get there in a second. Uh, as you mentioned, 3.30 on ABC, the AAC championship game from the Liberty Bowl. A rematch of last week, number 20 Cincinnati taking on number 17 Memphis uh, and of course, Mike Norvell's Memphis Tigers. If you're a Florida State alum or a Florida State fan trying to uh, scout out a potential coach, you might want to watch this game. Uh, Memphis won last week. It was competitive for at least three quarters, kind of getting into the fourth quarter, but eventually the Tigers pulled away. Um, Cincinnati has had such a hard time on offense with you know being consistent for again the second half of the season. They've been generally really solid, really fundamentally sound on defense, but. I just don't know that they're going to have enough firepower to keep up with what has really blossomed into a, a pretty nasty Memphis offense here. So give me the Tigers. Yeah, Memphis looked really good on offense. Um, I will give Cincinnati a little bit credit because I took them plus the 11 and a half last Saturday and they covered, oh, Friday, I guess. They played Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, great teams cover, That's right? right. That's right. Um, I like Luke Fickle a lot. I like Mike Norvell a lot. These are two well-coached teams. Uh, one has a better quarterback and a better offense, and that's Memphis. And even though they're playing two weeks in a row, and statistics will tell you that the team who just lost uh, will keep it closer in the rematch, I don't know how much closer Cincinnati keeps it because I don't really know what will change offensively for them to give them enough of an opportunity to win the football game. So I'm going with Memphis. The winner of this game, by the way, goes and they'll represent the group of five in the New Year's Six in all likelihood. Especially if it's Memphis, it's an absolute lock. If it's Cincinnati, uh, we'll see. There's a couple of uh, couple of group of five teams lingering, but keep yeah. an eye on that. Might get supplanted by Boise State there in that case. Yep, correct. Four o'clock on a CBS. Uh, the number four Georgia Bulldogs heading to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta to take on the number two LSU Tigers. What are you shaking your head for, Mike? What's up? Georgia's dead. Georgia's going to get dog stomped here. Yes. They, dog, dog stomp. Yes, they are. That's right. Um, I, nicely done. <laughs> yeah, give me LSU here. Look, Joe Burrow, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Like, he's been really freaking good. And I think Georgia's de- – I mean, I know Georgia's defense is outstanding. I know they, they're number one and SP Plus on special teams now too. Like, they do a lot of things well except 
offensively, they're a mess. Like, they don't throw the ball well. Jake Fromm's regressed. Uh, DeAndre Swift's great, but he's not going to be 100%. Um, I do think Georgia will have some success running the football against LSU's defense. I, I do. Um, I think Georgia can keep it competitive for a little bit, but once LSU starts getting some stops defensively, this could get ugly in a hurry because I just don't – Georgia's only path to winning this game is keeping this low scoring. Mm-hmm. And – LSU is outscoring everybody they play this year. Um, mm-hmm. They can score on anybody. And if Georgia's defense shows up and plays an unbelievable game, which they're certainly capable of doing, and be the first team all year to hold the LSU offense down, awesome, great. You're going to give yourself an opportunity. The problem is, Joey, even if LSU scores 20 points and that's it, are you confident Georgia can score 20 against this LSU defense? And the LSU defense hasn't been great, but it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Are you confident with how Georgia's offense is playing if they could score three touchdowns against LSU? I'm not. Um, yeah, LSU's defense this year has been like really, really bad by their standards. It's it's only like a top thirty defense this year if you if you look at a lot of metrics. Good enough. Yeah, that's decidedly still pretty good. Um, Georgia, right. And, and as we've documented here a little bit, Georgia's offense is very one dimensional, and, and not to mention last week again they came out against Georgia Tech trying to throw the ball and having very little luck of it for most of that game. Not not because Georgia Tech was doing some miracle job of defending it, but because Jake Fromm is just straight up off target and making bad throws and, and receivers aren't really getting open. I mean, it's Georgia only has one way to really beat you on offense. Maybe two ways, but the second way is Lawrence Cager, who's not playing in this game, and maybe George Pickens, who won't be playing the first half. So like you said, right. I mean, if, if Georgia's going to have a prayer of winning this game, this is, they're going to have to drag this down into a complete slog of a game. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Um, I, I think at some point LSU's going to pull away. LSU's scored at least 40 points in 10 of their 12 games this year. Georgia scored 40 points, what, like twice? Maybe three times now that they did it on Georgia Tech? Like, I, I just don't I don't see it. Um, I think LSU, yeah, is going to be able to uh, score enough points here to just run away from Georgia. Uh, we talked about the ACC championship game, obviously, uh, eight o'clock on Fox at the same time as the ACC championship game. Number one, Ohio state taking on number eight, Wisconsin. This from Lucas oil stadium in Indianapolis, uh, Ohio state pretty convincingly beat Wisconsin the first time around. I kind of feel like it's the same thing second time around. And it's not really a, a particularly different story than what we just talked about in the SEC championship game of, Wisconsin really only kind of has one way to beat you on offense. And Ohio State's good enough defensively that you need to be more uh, more creative, more diverse to have a chance to really uh, have a chance of beating them. Yeah, I mean, I like Wisconsin a lot, but I don't see this being competitive. Um, what do you got to do? You're going to run right at Chase Young. I mean, what are you going to do, run away from him? Like, if you run away from him, he's going to chase you down anyway. Yeah. Like, he's, he's so going to rush the passer. I, I mean, sometimes the best way to take a really, really good defensive lineman or defensive end out of the game is to run the ball straight at him with multiple mm-hmm. blockers, right? Mm-hmm. I think Wisconsin will try to do that with Jonathan Taylor. I just – Ohio State's defense, it's – Chase Young gets all the, highlight, all the highlights and the headlines and everything else. Like, he deserves – all of the recognition that he gets. Mm-hmm. Like, he's an outstanding player. But when you look at it on paper, 
Ohio State's defense is so good at all three levels, and they're so good on offense. And it's another one of those situations, Joey, where Wisconsin's defense, can you make a few stops to keep it competitive? Yeah, sure. Can you score enough offensively? Probably not. And that's with probably the best running back in the country on your team. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just don't see it. I like Ohio State here big, um, 14 to 17 points, maybe more. Yeah, I don't think it's all that competitive, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think this one, again, just kind of gets away from Wisconsin. And if you're listening to this thinking, this all sounds like a really boring championship weekend. Well, let's, let's go here, Mike. Last thing. Uh, you got a playoff four? Do I have a playoff four? Yeah. I do. And, Joey, the top three is really easy. Yeah. And, and if, right there, wh- why is the top three really easy? The top three is really easy because LSU hasn't lost. Um, Ohio State hasn't lost. And, Joey, Clemson? Hasn't lost. And why haven't they lost, Mike? Because they beat the shit out of everybody they play. Because they're way better than everybody they play. They are. Yes, that's correct. They're really, really, really good. Um, Really, really good. Even compared to the field, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time in a while where you have three teams that are so good that the fourth team, no matter who it is, is totally, totally toast. The one seed is so much more important this year than it's been in the past. Absolutely. So, so you're four. It sounds like it's Ohio State, LSU, Clemson in some order. And we don't have to put an order on it, but in some order, it's those three. And then who's your fourth? I'm going with Utah, if only because I wrote the article about it. Um, now, that's me being selfish. What do I think it will be if Utah and Oklahoma both win? Joey, it's Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Uh... And they're going to want to put that on TV. Ugh. And Utah, there's nothing sexy about Utah, even though they have a really, really good running back and a pretty good quarterback, really good defense, and a very underrated head coach. There's nothing sexy about Utah, Joey. And everybody Ugh. loves Lincoln Riley and loves Oklahoma, and they're going to end up with more top 25 wins in Utah, even though I think Utah is the better team, and I think they're playing better. By the eye test, I don't think they have the resume that Oklahoma has, even though it's like razor thin and very close. And you can argue either way because you're playing Baylor twice. So do you count that as two top 25 wins? Just one? How do you play that? There's going to be a lot of talk about that. I want Utah to be in because I wrote an article about it. I think they're really good. I think they'll make it interesting. Um, There'll be an interesting story in the playoff, but I think it's going to be Oklahoma, Joey. I, I don't disagree, basically for all the same reasons. Um, I, I think Utah's good. If nothing else, I just want something different. Can we get something different? Like, how many times has Oklahoma been in the playoff? They're winless in the playoff. Like, you know, they lost the Rose Bowl to, to Georgia. They lost last year in the Orange Bowl to Oklahoma They've or to uh, to Alabama. They I think they lost another time. I, I forget to who. Like, can we get somebody different? We haven't had a Pac-12 team since what, like 2016? Yeah, not since Washington. That was the last one. Yeah, yeah, Oklahoma got in with Baker Mayfield. They got in with Kyler Murray. They could get in here with Jalen Hurts. Like, this is what they do. But at the end of the day, I mean, number six, Oklahoma is playing number seven, Baylor. So if and when the committee is ready for Oklahoma to jump Utah, well, 
there's your opportunity. Um, there it is. It, it would be two top ten wins by the time they do that, by the way. You know, because, um, uh, you know, number five Utah is only playing number 13 Oregon. Screw them, right? Um, yeah, plus Oregon's not any good, right? They lost Arizona State. Not at all. So I'm with you. I, I think the top three is obvious, but the, the fourth spot, I want it to be Utah in so many ways. I think it'll probably end up being Oklahoma. I will say if Baylor beats Oklahoma, I think Utah's getting in. Because Baylor I think Utah's has, getting in too. Baylor has such a criminally horrible out of conference schedule that you if as the committee I've heard the Bear talk about this. You cannot encourage the out of conference scheduling that Baylor went with this year. So nope. in the same nope. way that if Oregon had been one loss and that one loss was to Auburn in week one, you cannot encourage teams not to schedule those games. So I think Utah's in over Baylor. I think Oklahoma's probably in over Utah, unfortunately. So we'll have to see. Okay, uh, so here's a, here's a more interesting question before we wrap up here. What is your most intriguing national championship game matchup? Hmm. I think it's probably Clemson-Ohio State. I think, I think the, it is, too. I think those are the two most complete teams here. I hate agreeing with you. I think LSU's, I think LSU's offense might be the single best unit of the – of any of these teams that we're talking about, really the five that we think might make the playoff at this point. Um, if Georgia were to find a way in, Georgia's defense would probably pretty decidedly be better than LSU's offense. But LSU's offense would be the best, but I think Clemson and Ohio State are the two most complete teams. I agree. And that would be a barn burner of a game. And honestly, I think I'd like Clemson, depending on the like the health of Justin Fields, basically. I mean, I'll shoot my shot right now. I and you know, I don't care who ends up being in, and we know three quarters of this already. I think Clemson's going to win the national championship again. I do. Um, they've been really complete. Not not to say Ohio State hasn't been. They've been outstanding, and I could see them beating Clemson. But you you have two really good quarterbacks, and you have one guy who's already won it and was just there a year ago and Trevor Lawrence, and I think Clemson's defense is better than it was last year. Um, I think they're every bit as fast. I think the defensive line is every bit as good, just a little bit younger. Um, the secondary, I think, is the best it's been in a really long time. I think Clemson's winning the whole thing, Joey, and that's not ACC bias. It's just the truth, and yeah. – you know, everybody gets mad about Dabo, and he says, "Oh, uh, you know, woe is me." And they were going to put, uh, you know, they're they're going to put Georgia in, and they're trying to find ways to eliminate Clemson if Clemson loses to South Carolina. That that's because Clemson doesn't have any quality wins on their schedule, right? So everybody's dismissing them. Um, anybody who has anti ACC or pro SEC bias, I should say, um, they're all talking about. Clemson not playing anybody, Clemson nearly losing to North Carolina two months ago. They're all hung up on that. Clemson, in my opinion, outside of Ohio State, is, like you mentioned, the most complete team in the country. And I think Clemson will win the national championship. So I'm just going to shoot that shot right now. Yeah. I think my only hesitation, and, and this is going to be as, as chalky and um, you know national takey as it gets, um, my only concern about Clemson is – um, here, I've got a complete list of teams right here for you, Mike, of 
teams that Clemson has beaten that are currently ranked or receiving votes in the college football playoff rankings, the AP Top 25, and the coaches poll. You ready? Yep. That's it. Okay, anyone else? No, that's all. Nobody. Okay. Clemson has not played a team that is currently ranked, and obviously this changes this weekend when they play a ranked Virginia team, but, like, we haven't seen Clemson challenged. That's my only That's my only concern, but I, I think they have a great shot. We'll say that. And, again, I think they're, they're, they're as complete as anybody in, in Ohio State's right there with them, so we'll have to see how that turns yep. out. And they're still beating the hell out of everybody they play. They're, I mean, save the North Carolina game. Yeah. They're beating everybody by, like, four scores. They're, they're doing what you do if you're a, a dominant great team, is they're they're kicking the snot out of everybody. Um, yep. So they're, they're showing us what they need to show us. Mike, we need to get out of here. This has gone on for way too long. Yep. Um, let's, let's get out of here. Let's go watch these championship games. We're going to come back and uh, talk about some uh, you know, postseason matchups. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll do that. Uh, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to Man Basketball Conference Podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, y'all can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, and most importantly, on the Anchor app. And we appreciate those who have and uh, ask us to keep sharing us with your, sharing us with your friends. Uh, Mike, you want to tell me where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah, Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Hell yeah. Do that. Please do. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. On to championship week. Absolutely. One more to go. And uh, close to naming a champion. Here we are. Here we are. We uh, we think we know who's going to be. I have a feeling it's going to be Clemson. Take Clemson in the under. That's what we're thinking. Yep. Clemson in the other. That's where smart money is. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, Mike, we will come back and reconvene after these games and uh, talk about what we, uh, we find out in the meantime. Yes, sir. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.